Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. This episode features Kendra Jane Patrick. Her art gallery operates between Switzerland and the USA. Its programming is focused on the 21st century avant-garde, specializing in sculpture, painting, digital, and photography from a post-conceptual and post-internet posture. The program operates from a brick-and-mortar location in Bern, Switzerland, and then spare spaces within established New York art galleries, art fairs, and unusual exhibition sites. Kendra Jane Patrick artists and exhibitions have been featured in numerous publications including the New York Times, Vulture, Barron's, Art News, Cultured, The Guardian Document Journal, The Art Newspaper, The New Yorker, to name a few. Her artists are represented in collections at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, the Studio Museum in Harlem, the Dallas Museum of Art, and the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Please visit CerebralWomen.com for her expanded bio and enjoy this episode featuring gallerist Kendra Jane Patrick. Kendra, welcome to my podcast. I'm glad we connected and that I can feature you. Thank you so much for having me. When did you discover your interest in the visual arts? I think my interest in visual arts started funny enough in law school. As a kid, you know, my parents, they took us to, I grew up in Cleveland, and they pretty regularly took us to, you know, sort of various cultural um, spaces in Cleveland, the Art Museum, the Cleveland Orchestra, all of those things. But I would say it was during law school when I think the idea of political or cultural expression via aesthetics kind of, it sort of gelled. For a lot of reasons, I think I sort of almost immediately knew that practicing law wouldn't, I don't know, exactly, it wasn't, wasn't going to be the best fit for me, but, you know, it was great education. I finished it. During law school, I happened upon a, an internship position for Art Partner. Art Partner is one of the um, biggest fashion photography agencies in the fashion world. And so I worked there for a summer. I was helping the agents with contracts. So, you know, I was still doing something law adjacent, but was contracts for people who are primarily inspired by the idea of beauty. And it was nice. I liked it. I graduated, came to New York permanently. And then I took an internship at, and I'm not sure if the magazine is defunct, but it is a magazine called Muse Magazine, you know, Italian art and fashion. 
And one day somebody asked me to write about art for the magazine blog. And I had free range, I could pick whatever I wanted. And that was sort of, you know, I never really, really looked back. And I think the very first article I ever wrote was with an artist I found, I can't remember how I found her, but her name is uh, Valerie Snowbeck. And at the time she was showing with Essex Street on the Lower East Side. And somehow I came across her work and, yeah, at the time I really, really liked it. I sat down for an interview with her. And after that, I was just very, very sure that I that I would be working in the art world. Do you find it helpful to have a law degree? Yes, actually. I think that, you know, what you really learn in law school is a mode of analysis. And I think that it is a mode of analysis that looks backwards and forwards. It is a mode of analysis that encourages one to be thorough. And it's a mode of analysis that encourages a lot of research before one takes a position or advocates for one or believes in one. I think looking at a painting and figuring out what that painting might try to be expressed, if anything at all, somehow it came to me easily because I knew whatever my analysis was of that piece of art, it had to be thorough. And there had to be, I think it made it easier to see that there should always be a visible relationship to what an artist says a piece of art is about and what it looks like. And I think, like I was saying, I think that kind of thorough analysis that became natural by the end of law school, I think, yeah, was has been really, really helpful to me. And then also having experience with maintaining professional relationships, I think, even though it was an internship at our partner, you know, I was working with some of the best agents in the world. And, you know, I, I was able to then write apply baseline at the time baseline knowledge of contracts and torts and uh, copyright, read all of these things that affect how artists write in, in, um, in very commercial right situations or spaces uh, need. What it actually inspired you to, to open your own gallery? I think opening the gallery, I just, it felt like I had a range of ideas that I wanted to explore. So after my internship ended at the magazine, I just started keeping a blog because of course I didn't, I didn't know anyone. <laughs> and sort of after that, I met actually an artist who just joined my roster. And she, at the time, was part of this artist-run space that's still around. It's called uh, Essex Flowers. and there, I said that was my first taste of running a gallery. And almost immediately, I think I um, transitioned into a role where I was leading the programming, figuring out the schedule. We would do not in New York and I, I'd be the one manning the booth. And I liked about an art gallery, I liked the breadth of conversations that you have. You know, you talk to artists, you talk to collectors, you talk to institutions. And I liked kind of having all of those ideas and perspectives flowing around. And my time in Essex Flowers was great. I got to make some shows that I am super, super proud of. But yeah, I think at some point it was like, okay, I just want to have full, not control of, but for lack of a better word, word control of management of and planning of a program. Why do you label your gallery an itinerant art gallery? Because that's, how I got started. You know, you come into the art world and you're like, oh, look at me, I have ideas, you know. 
and oh, I want to have this art gallery. But then the reality is that you need both relationships and a lot of cash to, you know, to really get an art gallery off the ground. And I was still making my way. Like I said, I was writing, kind of bartended in New York for for some time. And in figuring that out, it, you know, I have to say I got I got very lucky in that there were some New York dealers who let me make shows in their spaces. And I always love to get give credit to Stefania Bordolami, who was the first gallerist to give me a chance. Uh, she had, I think at the time she had just moved into her space in Tribeca. And at the time she had right there, she still does have this big viewing room in the front. And at the time there was, there was a project by that gallery, Queer Thoughts. And I was talking to her along with the collector and she just says, well, why don't you do something there? And of course, you know, she, she says this and I'm like, okay, no way, like no way. She's gonna actually let me do this. And so I followed up with her and she was quite clear. She said, you're not curating a show for me. I want you to use this opportunity to be able to show people what your gallery will be, can be. And that was an opportunity that was really game changing for me. And I have a lot of gratitude for Johannes Vogt and Joel Mesler. You know, I think even I did this big online project with Metro Pictures in 2020 and it felt like a good way to get started again on these relationships. I came from the world of law. So all of this just felt daunting, but the, you know, those opportunities, I think really, you know, made, made, made it possible for me to get this off the ground. And so that's why, you know, I called it itinerant because, you know, for, for between 2018 and 20, I guess, 2020, 2021, it, it was. And then I would say the other thing, the other thing related to that is that I think I liked the spirit of it being itinerant. I liked being able to show in different spaces. I liked to be able to think about what an established art gallery was doing and then what I could do as a means of actually contributing to that context, but also using that context to demonstrate where my program had a different vision, I would say. And now I think that spirit is reflected in this November, I'll be doing a New York solo with Qualisha Wood, right? The gallery, my gallery is now based in Bern, but you know, I learned a lot in New York. It's still my favorite city on the planet. And I do plan on having, you know, one show a year in New York, and then I'm doing American art fairs. And I'm sort of envisioning that as I'm sort of calling it Kendra Dane Patrick International, right? This place where the program can remain wild and experimental and i can stay nimble because it's kind of a rocky time in the art world anyway can you compare the u.s versus the euro market or the international markets how do they differ well i think like uh kind of like i was just saying i think the most important like collecting habits are influenced i think right by culture and a lot i think a lot in a lot of ways by culture and right a culture's relationship to art as commerce. And so I would say currently collecting habits seem to be quite determined by, you know, the sort of shakiness of the financial markets and the broader economies, right? Higher interest rates and a lot of other factors I think are contributing to, I shouldn't say a lot of other factors, what I should say is that there's a lot of art and a lot of galleries and a lot of fairs 
And I think that combination is contributing to collectors being more careful or focusing on a different part of their patronage at the moment. And so I think currently collecting habits are in a certain way being reset or uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think the way that I hear people related to Wall Street, right, they call it a correction. And so I think, I think that's all happening at the same time. And I think, you know, I might emphasize the, the fair thing. I mean, there's just so many fairs and then so many galleries. And I just think everyone in a certain way is really exhausted with this really tiring circuit. And I think that's really influencing how people are, are collecting right now. But I can also say, yes, I do think that the pace can feel different. You know, I've done Art Basel Miami for two years in a row, and I'll be doing it later this year. This year was my first time at Basel in Basel. And, you know, I did feel like both, both fairs have a lot of energy and excitement. But I do think I was able to enjoy perhaps longer conversations at Art Basel. And like I said, probably for all of those reasons, but I felt like collectors, you know, might come back more than once and then say, okay, right. And, and bring the spouse by or bring a friend by. And I think those are nice because then, you know, we're not doing the sort of awkward scramble of, oh yeah, what's in your collection? Blah, 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 blah. Right. We've already talked and established some synergy. And, and then when, when someone acquires, I think that that, that feels good. And it, it feels like more likely to lead to a long-standing relationships. And, and that was something that was something I really, really enjoyed about Art Balls on Balls this year. So what type of relationship do you like to have with your collectors? I mean, I think baseline. So I think if somebody comes to my gallery and is really excited about the program. I think that they're, well, not I think, but they're usually adventurous, open-minded, and, you know, I think sort of like the artist and the program itself, they're, you know, intensely curious. And I think, you know, working with these collectors, you know, you're always sort of catching up and trading ideas and hearing where the other one is. And so I think, you know, my relationships are, are quite personal in that it's it's very much about what that collector sees in the program and how they think that can contribute to what they do. I think my program is pretty decidedly like uses kind of the internet as its baseline. So the work I, I say is like post the invention of the internet and certainly post emergence of social media. And you know, digital politics or politics expressed via the internet, I think are the baseline. But by the same token, I show art in every medium. And those themes, I think, are implicit. But, you know, are implicit in a lot of the work I show, but they're also, that sensibility, I think, comes out in varying in varying ways across, across mediums. So it isn't, right, like you'll come to me just for video work or just for internet-based work. But I find collectors who are also interested in this giant social shift are also are attracted to what we, we offer. When you think of the type of artists that you want to feature, what drives that? What's, what's the motivator for you? In terms of the artists I choose to work with, I mean, I think my governing principle maybe is that I like to deal with art that needs to exist. And what I mean by that is it's art that truly will register a different way about 
things, things meaning, right, whatever's going on around us that the artist is touching on or thinking about. And more importantly, I find it actually impossible to separate aesthetics from politics and culture. So I would say that I tend to gravitate towards artists who similarly seem to not be able to to do so. And so I like artists that are quite thorough. Like I said early, I like to see the relationship between the concept and the uh, resulting object. And I, you know, I think I look for artists where I look at the work and I speak to them and I say, oh, I've never thought about it like that before. And that's the other thing I want collectors who come to me to say, oh man, I never thought about it like that. Or I've never seen that idea like that. Because that's ultimately how I choose the art that I I show and the artists I like to work with. I also love a good sense of humor. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I like art dealing with contemporary issues, but I also really appreciate good sense of humor in, you know, just in in thinking through art and, you know, where we are, where things are, where aesthetics are. And what type of relationship do you like to have with your artists? Mm, How do you mean? Well, I mean, friendships, it's strictly business. Uh, I mean, I think naturally, I think one will be friendly with their artists. And I, I don't mean friendly as in nice too. But I think in the way that, right, when you meet someone, when you share ideas, I mean, our first conversation, for example, right, it was great kind of getting to know you and trading things. And and I think, right, it's natural for people who find synergy, I think, to build rapport and, you know, I think to even like to spend time together. But I, I, you know, I do know friends who've been in a situation where friendships can be complicated because you end up having these two relationships. But like the baseline one, right, is is sort of advocate and artist. And so I think it's just really important to whatever relationship from, right, friends, besties to strictly business. I just think it's important, A, that everyone that or that you and the artist are on the same page and B, that you you're able to, right, be a very thorough advocate which I think sometimes, you know, can, can be tricky. I mean, as you know, the art world is so social. It's so social. It's based on relationships. So I think, yeah, I think it takes some, some real care and commitment to really find something that, that feels good. But I would say I really enjoy my relationships with my artists and I enjoy, I really, you know, I enjoy talking about art with them and life also, uh, I would say. What do you enjoy most about being a gallerist? I like being surprised, kind of like I alluded to to earlier. You know, I think I, I had a friend once who said he thinks that the dealers are the crazy ones, right? Because because of volunteering, right, to to sort of deal with all of these different parties. But as I was saying, I think that's what I love. It just it keeps me thinking about new things, new ideas. I also and I also think in a lot of ways it's about gaze. I think in the last few years. For a bunch of reasons, right? There have been um, positions taken by Black women, or more of us opening our own gallery, and I think it's about the gaze. I think that the Black gaze, I think, is right an essential one when just thinking about uh, America, what it is, what it can be, 
And then I think the the black woman gaze is is equally important and illuminating. And you know, I think until very recently, you just didn't get to hear, you know, how we're all very different. And right, we share this phenotype, but we share, I think, right, African American history. But I think, yeah, bringing in like the black female gaze up on America, up on the world, and then presenting that on aesthetic terms, I think, you know, I'm always invigorated by it. I'm always really invigorated by by that and by expressing that and demonstrating, I think, implicitly the significance of, of that gaze. Do you feel black art can be defined? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. Like it's challenging in the way that defining blackness is is quite challenging, I think, and that's especially for black Americans. So, I mean, I think a baseline, yeah, you have black art, right? And I think of black art as art made by a black person. I think that's my Yeah, I think that's my my basic definition of it, but it's hard because You, you know, you want to, I think sometimes the art world can just collapse things. Currently, right, you can see this uptick in people showing art by, you know, Indigenous American artists, you know, and that's another, right, I think we've all watched it happen to Black artists. We have, we watch, we're still watching it happen to like, you know, deceased or older women artists. I say I bring up all those groups because I think sometimes, yeah, it is easy to collapse them into a, a trend. And I do think in a certain way that happened with the, call it, I guess, an explosion or a boom of Black art. But yeah, I think I, I would say it's challenging is defining what it means to be Black and American. Right, I, yeah, and talking about Black Americanness, I think I think it's a real challenge to, to find a big, big umbrella or a definition that that suits everyone because I also think it's not just art made by a black person but then there's also art that's about blackness too and so I think maybe that's another feature or something to think about is like is black art about the black gaze is it about black history is it about is it about like the race and culture of the maker and is it is it analysis primarily the the black experience and all of those things i think converge different ways for so many artists but yeah i think it's tough to define what are you excited about right now to be honest i'm kind of excited about or not excited about because it's hard but i think the slowdown and correction um i think does i think everyone is sort of taking stock of what to do and i'm just hoping that I'm just hoping that it, it becomes, uh, uh, it provides a lot of people with a reason to innovate. And, you know, I think I took this summer to, to really think about what I think should be next or what I want to focus on. And, you know, I think, yeah, the rinse, wash, repeat thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping that, like, I'm pretty inspired by it and I'm, I'm hoping that enough of us are inspired by it to usher in, you know, I don't know, right, especially because it's not 2008, I don't know if it'll usher in this big giant change, but certainly, right, like the climate stress, the political stress, and then, like I said, just the glut that we're dealing with in the art world. I hope, I hope that that's inspiring for new models and new ideas. So new models, new ideas. Are, are there current trends that you are a little disturbed by? 
I mean, I think, like I was saying, I think racialized trends are just, uh, are they're just hard. They're just hard. And then they also, I think in a way, racialized trends, I just think, I mean, they're meant to highlight the lack of artists of color of different strides. But I just think that sometimes, or I think as we saw, the focus was primarily on, okay, did a Black person make it? Great. I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not sure about racialized trends, although it's nice for, right, the art world, in particular, the institutions to say, hey, we missed, we missed this thing. But somehow, because it's so related to the market, it, you know, inevitably feels like a trend. And then right at the end of the trend is, you know, who knows what happens. There's a lot of artists who, Right, their practice becomes less popular after after said trend, I think, which is really hard. I think it's hard when things go to auction after the trend. And I think so when it's happening to like a specific racial group, Black or otherwise, I think it's it can just be disheartening. What do you feel is a role of the artist? To expand all of our minds. <laughs> yeah, I just think art feels like a really expansive way of thinking about the world. I mean, that's that was also, I think, what was hard for me about just being a lawyer. I mean, like I said, as much as I'm, I'm so appreciative to now have that mode of thought be something natural, I think there's also something very specific about political analysis. And it just, I just felt like, for me, it felt like it was still a partial analysis. And so I think when I look to artists or I look to art, I just am looking for people who, who make me think differently. I can also remember another pivotal moment, a friend who at the time is doing very well now. And at the time he had just graduated from his MFA program. And there was a small graduate opening in New York. And I went and I was sitting, you know, at the after party, I was sitting around with maybe 20 artists. And that, that's what I remember being struck by. I was like, look at all these ideas. Look at all these different ideas at a small artist dinner at a small gallery in New York. And so I think always it's been that intellectual expansion, which is my guiding light for um, what makes me happy and excited about art and artists. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been very informative. Thank you for sharing as much as you had. This is a, our final question, and that is, how do you want to impact the art world right now? Right now. Like I said, it's mostly it's very important to me that people come and say, I've just never seen it that way before. And I think the extent to which I can contribute that, that feels in a way like my life's work. Like even if I weren't running a gallery, I would still just want people to see something different. You know, I'm not sure if it's like, especially now or what, but I think things just do feel really polarized throughout the, the world and cross culture, et cetera. And so I think that I just want to be someone who can interrupt, right? Lots and lots of like noise, distress, et cetera, with thorough, good, and I think, you know, ideas that will stand the test of time. That's what I want to present is I, I want to show people ideas that I think will be important for decades to come. I like that answer. Thank you for the work you do. And thank you for your time. I appreciate it.
Thank you, you so much for your time. It was really, really nice talking to you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.